0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and stand with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is the seventh in our series on the signs of the times and the end of the age. Uh, Being one place 22 years, I get tickled with those that uh, come in our church and don't know that, that, you know, I'm just a simple guy, just kind of mashed potatoes, you know, just average, and they'll come in and say, well, how long's the series going to be? I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, where we come from, he knew two years in advance. Well, I said, mm So I knew the subject, and we're just going to keep going. I trust that it's been a benefit to you and a sobering and making you aware that your pastor's conviction, based on the study of Scripture, is that nothing has to happen before the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. We are in the last hour of the last days before his return. And there are signs. And there's confirmations. There are warnings. There are exhortations found. And that's what I'm doing. I'm preparing. Uh, I'm doing my best to prepare us as if this were the year. It could be. I, I pray that it is. But that we would not be ashamed at His coming. That we would be prepared. Untethered to this world. So he wrote this letter to Timothy, his son in the gospel. And at 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it says this. And this is the King James Version. Now the Holy Spirit speaketh expressly, specifically, that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In the Amplified Version, it says this. But the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares that in the latter times some will turn away from the faith, giving attention to deluding and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach through hypocrisy and pretensions of liars whose conscience are seared or cauterized as with a hot iron. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. And may I ask one thing of you today, would you truly pray for me right now as I pray for myself that God would anoint me because without his anointing, it's a dispensing of knowledge, it profiteth nothing, but it's a spirit that quickens and that we would hear truth. So Father, I just humble myself before you today and I I thank you for the grace that you extended me this week. I thank you, Lord, that we can call upon you in any situation at any time and find mercy And I present myself, Lord, I I know it best. I'm an unprofitable servant, but I'm your servant. And I pray today that you would have pity upon my frame and that you would, by your mercy, grant me an anointing from heaven that would allow me to preach the word of God with such clarity and such unction that it would be like lights turning on in our soul. That we would receive with meekness the engrafted word of God which is able to deliver us and change us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. For this day of the Lord should not overtake us because we're not children of the darkness, Lord. Not children of night. We're children of the day. And even though we don't know the day nor the hour, we know the season. And I believe, O Lord, that we're there. And very soon you're coming for your church and then coming back with us to this earth. So I pray that you would anoint this message. Let it be uh, a word of exhortation and correction for us that we might be more stable. Lord, this is my heart today. I ask for this church that there be no allegiance to anyone but you. No allegiance to no John Wood or Christ Chapel, uh, to any favorite preacher or minister. But our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ, period. And those same affections are reserved for you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul said that, in the last day, the Spirit specifically told him and recorded it for all of us that in the last days, uh, there would be men who name the name of Christ that will be anointed, but it will be demonic, seducing spirits, seducting not in the sense of sex, because you know we 're so saturated with sex that any time you hear seduction, we think of that first, but it means. In the same way, in a sexual sense, you would do the thing or say the thing that would cause response. That's what these ministers do. They seduce people with what they want to hear. Uh, uh, the anointing lets them feel what they want to feel. And the, and the evidence of their seduction is those that are attentive to them, their conscience is seers, uh, seared, cauterized is what it says in the original Greek. It's cauterized to where they can't feel the brush of the Holy Spirit. They can't uh, feel, they're not sensitive to Him. The Bible speaks of a circumcision of heart. And we're adults in this room, so we don't have to dance around what it means. In the same way you take a little boy and you cut back the skin of his private, you cut it back and you pull the foreskin back, It allows his private to be more easily cleaned, and there's a sensitivity that comes with it. And especially in a little boy, and as men get older, uh, just rubbing up against something very easy. It's so heightened. It's so sensitive. The most sensitive part of a male's body is his private parts. And when God wanted to talk about our walk with the Lord, he speaks of a circumcision of heart, which means there's a cutting back of all of the foreskin, all of the skin on the outside. So at the least rub of the Lord, the least attention, that we would be so aware of his pleasure or displeasure. That sensitivity is precious to you. But if we sit under, and listen, this is not an attack on other people. Group me in with all of those that teach and preach the God, Word of God. If you sit under a ministry that is uh, anointed but not of the Lord, it's easy to be deceived. And the Bible says in the last days that uh, deception would be rampant. And it's in the church. And I'm going to take a moment. I didn't plan on it this, but I want to take a moment and... I'm talking to myself, so if I don't get done, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. There's a lot of people in church that aren't going to heaven. And that's not me being a legalist, that's the word of God. It said, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now, stop. Not Christ, not Jesus, but Lord. My unbelieving friends don't call him Lord to himself. They don't address him as Lord they put damn on his last name. There's no communication, especially with the p- title of Lord. He said, but many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied the forthtelling and the foretelling of God's word in your name? Haven't we done many mighty, wonderful works in your name? He said, I know you not. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. One of the signs of those that sit under Uh, doctrines of demons is they live in immorality. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. And their conscience becomes seared. So there's no conviction in the preached word. There's no conviction in their prayer closet. And because they no longer feel convicted, they feel that God is okay with them. Because they had given way to seducing spirits that catered to their flesh Doctrines of demons that allowed this separation. And like Samson, they knew not that the Spirit of the Lord had left them. Now, this message uh, is not fear-mongering, but it should cause a godly fear in us that we would work out our salvation in fear and trembling and examine for ourselves. Know for yourself that you're in the faith, that you're near the Lord, that there's nothing between you and Him. First thing I want to share with you after that long introduction. What qualifies as a doctrine of demons? If any teaching contradicts, or any minister, you can say teaching or minister, contradicts, adds, or takes away from the Word of God, it's a doctrine of demons. And just because a man preaches correct doctrine Saturday doesn't mean that he can't preach false doctrine Sunday. And this is our dilemma because sitting under a ministry, whether it's mine or someone else's, you'll associate the word of God, the grace that impacted you, the change, the freedom with that person so you can never view that person as wrong. We are mailmen. We are messengers. We are flawed and fallible. And our allegiance is only to the... the, the, I'm I'm under you as long as you're preaching truth. And because if someone preaches error, it doesn't disqualify what they preached earlier, but it causes me to back up and distance myself because I might, through familiarity and acceptance, receive something I wouldn't have received before. So your allegiance is to no man. If the teaching is man-centered the elevation of man, emphasizing the the gain of man, the, the comfort of man, the increase of man, the glory of man, the approval of man. They have an ability to rest the Scriptures to their own destruction. And they will take Scriptures and take the truth of the Scripture and misapply it by context. If the emphasis of the teaching is on you, then it originates with man. It's humanistic. It's human-centered. And the gospel, the word of God, and the reason for it all is not you or me. We exist for the glory and pleasure of the Lord. He does not exist for my glory and pleasure. He is not my set of keys to the kingdom. He is not my uh, genie that I rub and get what I want. Contrary to the word faith movement, which did one positive thing, it awoke our nation decades ago to the need for faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But the demonic fallacy of it is that it's all man centered. And you can, if they'll make phrases like, it'll work if you work it, it will work. It, what's it? Oh, the trick. Because you can have scripture back God in a corner and command ye me, saith the Lord. And you swap places with God and you make the word of God exist for your glory, your comfort, your gain. And the truth is, the Christian is the most blessed person on the face of the earth. But that is a byproduct, not a primary product. I am blessed because I am in him. And I am rich. I am seated with him in heavenly places. I already have received all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And that works out in my mind, my body, my soul, my finances, my relationships, all of that. It's blessing. It's not right. It's not privilege. It's grace. It's grace. Can you imagine your child coming in there? Oh, Lord, y'all pray for us. Is he? Is not quite six, but she's 13. (laughs) Uh, Oh, if I videoed it, you would go, John, you're in so much trouble. You can ask Kelly. She's already manipulating and uh, maneuvering and twisting. And uh, well, I guess you just need another daughter. It's just bizarre. Can, I can imagine her coming in, in my room at 13 telling me her rights as my daughter. And it's impossible to communicate to this generation. I'm 55. It's impossible to communicate to them, my generation and the one before, that said just that statement would have got you knocked out. <laughs> just that one statement. And you would have woke up and said, the answer's Kansas. I don't know where I am. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Your mama knocked you out. And daddy's waiting for his turn. No, 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 brother John. We have rights as children of the Lord. And we line up and we study scripture so we learn our rights. And we've lost our mind. Word, faith, that dynamic, distorts and perverts everything. The truth is if I walk with the Lord, it is his joy to give unto me the kingdom, but I know my role and I know my place and I come before him not with rights but with invitation. Invitation. Jesus teaches to pray. He said the first thing you got to do when you come before the Lord is talk about relationship. My Father, our Father. And a child that comes in with rights, I'm prophesying towards Isabel if Jesus tarries. I'm prophesying seven years from now. That won't move me ever. In fact, it will cause me to make attitudinal adjustments in your life, both physically, relationship, relationally. I can't wait for her revelation that I get to pick who she dates. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I pick them. Oh, you thought you did. <laughs> yeah. I already know one of the things I'm going to do. I'm going to keep a six-pack of beer in my fridge. Pastor John, hear me out. Comes to the door, you know. Oh, What's up? Oh, what's up with you? I'm here to pick up Isabel. Hey, man, come on in. You want a beer? Sure. Get your behind out of my house. <laughs> I'll have it in my hand. You want a beer? Get your wine out of my Y'all feel free to use that. You don't have to give me credit. <laughs> if the teaching changes the definition of sin, gives exception to sin, license of sin, or the approval uh, to man's flesh, it is a seducing spirit. If the teaching places more emphasis on the temporal than the eternal and the natural instead of the spiritual, it is a doctrine of demons. If it does not originate in the person of God and it is not witnessed and maintained by the Spirit of God, it's a doctrine of demons. If it devalues, degrades, or destroys people in the end, it is a doctrine of demons. If it misdirects, withholds, or gives any of God's glory to a man, write the whole thing off. But he said good things. (laughs) Write it off. It's like saying, well, this was a wonderful key lime pie. It had just a little arsenic in it. If it brings attention, if the doctrine brings attention to the man, if it elevates the man, if it deifies the man, if it sets the man as the focus, it's a doctrine of demons because God will not share his glory with another unless he invites that person in. In one aspect, he gives us glory, but it's never earned or merited, and it's surely not asked for. If the teaching causes or implies loyalty or dependence upon a man or a system. Church family, be so careful to that person that has personal prophecy for you. Despise not prophesying, but be careful of the ministry that creates a codependency. Oh, I got to drive out of town. Why? So-and-so's got a meeting, and I really receive from him. I I, I know what you're saying, but, but anything... That creates a dependence. Upon a man or a system. Did not originate with God. What you could say is. The Lord uses that vessel. And I was blessed by their ministry. I think I will go. And see what the Lord has for me. But you know. Not some preacher standing up saying. Well Monday's Holy Ghost night. And Tuesday's healing. Well, what if I want a double portion. That's Wednesday. You got to come Wednesday. The truth is. He uses people, he anoints people, but he doesn't need people. And when you find yourself carrying the banner for a movement, a man, a system, a priest, a cardinal, whatever, know this, that it did not originate with God. The disciples gave you the pattern, they're healing lame people that can't walk. And their ankle bones received strength and they walked for the first time in the sight of all these people. And they cut it off at the source. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't look at us like we did something or like we were anybody important. This man was healed by that name and faith in that name. The one you killed. As for us, we just common folk. Be careful of the one that will allow you to connect That will allow you to become dependent upon and that will receive your affections. Because what friend of the bride would receive the affections of the bride? What friend of the bridegroom would accept the affections of the bride while he tarries? Be careful. Be careful. Number one. Doctrines of demons, relativism. All truth is relative. All truth is relative. Your, find your truth. There are many roads that lead to God, many roads that lead to salvation. We're all praying to the same God. When the Bible is crystal clear that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, what is your truth on gravity? Well, I don't believe in it. Well, <laughs> let's get on the roof and try it. But no, it's my truth. Don't judge me. Well, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to watch you. What is your truth? And I'm making light to show you how ridiculous it is. I'm identifying as a woman. I'm identifying as a man. Which, in it see, it's not a sexual thing. It is a mockery of the person... And the intentions and plans of God, which says, you don't know what you're doing, so I, taking the throne, will correct what you did wrong. That's what it is. Find your own truth. All roads lead to heaven. That's like saying all roads lead to Daytona. I'm going to get on 75 North and by faith, in his name, I'm going to Daytona. Don't you, does anybody else just shake your head and wonder? You go, answer the phone. It's ringing. It's for you. Trust me. We're all brothers and sisters. No, we ain't. How can I get off this stage? We're all God's creation. Absolutely. But be careful of anyone and any doctrine, any teaching that contradicts. Once you contradict the word, me and you have separation. Sanctify them through thy truth. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth forever, O Lord. How long? Forever, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Not one punctuation mark will pass away till all things are fulfilled. Doctrine of the... And it's anointed. They got great worship teams. They got worldwide... Hey, listen. Crowds doesn't mean holiness. You got 100,000 people... Uh, watching the Olympics, that don't mean it's holy. Hundreds of thousands at football games, a crowd don't mean anything. We could have a big crowd next Sunday. I could have Chick Fil A Day. Free Chick Fil A, everybody. Man, y'all doubled. Well, one because they love Jesus, they love Chick Fil A. Evolution, globalism, humanism, transgender, unisex, metrosexual, homosexuality, lesbianism. Anything you see that changes the pattern. Changes the pattern. Do you remember when Moses, the Israelites were thirsty? Y'all just bear with me. I want you to see this truth. How serious God is about truth. And how you can't deviate. You can't deviate from it. He told Moses, he said, speak to the rock. Or smite the rock. And he took his staff and he smote the rock. And out of this... Um, small mountain sticking out of the earth, pure water came forth and slaked the thirst of millions of Jews. And it followed them. What does that mean? It means it followed them. That rock that followed them was Christ. This, the, the, the water came from Now, when it came time again to get water from the rock, God said, now make sure that you speak to it. And Moses, in his anger, because he said, must I bring you water out of this rock? Now follow the teaching. You, oh, you're the one God's using. You're the important one. And then he smote the rock again, which contradicted type. That rock was a symbol of Jesus Christ who was beaten for our sins to come. And Moses, not knowing, made implication through his actions that Christ would be crucified twice. And God said, you will never enter the promised land. For that sin, unknowing in the earth, he was not allowed to realize the promise of God. And Joshua was able to lead them in the promised land. But in the earth, he wasn't able to. That's how serious God is with type. He said, don't you distort the order. Don't you change what I have taught and am teaching. What I've revealed and am revealing. You don't get to alter the plan. Let me give you another example. Where man is the head of the home. Where man is the head of the home. That doesn't mean smarter. Any brothers out there say amen with me? My wife's graduated. She got an education. Me being the head of our home does not mean that I'm smarter than, more gifted than, or greater than, or better qualified. It means that God decided and says you are the head of the home which means all the responsibility falls on you for the home. Oh, so that don't mean I get to tell him what to do? Oh no, it has very little to do with you and her. It has everything to do with you and me. And I can prove it to you. When Abraham sinned and convinced Abram to sleep with Hagar and it didn't work out right and Ishmael was born, she went into the tent and told Abraham, my wrong be upon you and walked out. And he's like, What did I do? You're the head of the home, and you should have told me no. So the accountability is unto God. So the world so struggles with that because it's contrary to reasoning. If Kelly's smarter than me, which she is, in book smarts. I got them street (laughs) smarts. I told her the other day I was smarter than she was. She goes, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am, and I can prove it. If I can prove it, will you admit it? Oh, absolutely. I said, you married me. (laughs) I'm serious. She goes, you're smarter. There you have. So humanism says, well, that's holding her down. That's not recognizing her gifts or abilities. No, it's following pattern. So her submission is not an agreement that she is not equal or better. She takes one step backwards because the Lord is her God. Not that John is her Lord, that John is better. And so the command is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, that goes with being the head. That means you love them wholeheartedly. That means you love them first, That means that you lay down your life. That means you prefer them. That means you esteem them. That means you get in front of them. You take the abuse, the mischief. You do all of that. And wives, reverence your husbands. And then, in case there's any confusion about what submission is, then he tells the husband later, and now both of you submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. A mutual submission. So see, the world doesn't like the patterns that God established. I am the head. I'm the responsible one. Not because I'm better, only because God put me in that position. So you're telling me that some men are not as qualified as the woman. Absolutely. But it doesn't change the pattern. So I'm teaching you principle here. Be careful of any teaching that changes truth and changes pattern. God establishes an order of things, and truth is acknowledgement of that order. Number two, the prosperity gospel. Now, I'm not going to stay long on these. We could do a whole series on all of these. but The prosperity gospel is many-faceted, and it's, it's geared around God wants you happy. God wants you wealthy. God wants you wise. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to succeed. You're to be the head, not the tail. Your basket's supposed to be full, not empty, yada, 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 yada. And I'm not making light of the scriptures. They're just taken in the wrong context. Those are examples of the blessed life. But the goal of my Christianity is not to see how much I can get from God. The goal of our faith is supposed to be how much we can surrender to Him and let our life bring Him glory. And if the emphasis is wrong, the results are wrong. I can prove it to you. And I done showed you with the Kelly thing. I can prove it. You take a rocket, and I'm not an astrophysicist or scientist or NASA, none of that stuff, but you take a rocket and you set the bearings to go to the moon you change it one degree and follow the trajectory say a hundred years you're off in a whole nother cosmos you're out in another Milky Way you're gone it's imperative that we are lined up with his word and the idea the contextual idea that the word of God was given to elevate me than to bring glory to God leads to nothing but error. The blessings they quoted were true, but they are byproducts, not primary products. Number three, inclusion theology, which is becoming very popular now. One of the verses that they, uh, well, the inclusion gospel is simple that God has already reconciled the world unto himself through Jesus Christ, everyone's saved. 1 Timothy 4.10, they say, this is the verse. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And what they say is that everyone's already saved. What that means is that Christ is the available Savior to all men, but he is acting out the role of Savior to those that believe. Inclusion theology contradicts See, even if it has an argument that makes sense, if it contradicts other scriptures, uh, if everyone's already saved, then there's no great white throne judgment. There's no hell. There's no uh, Lamb's book of life. There's no, unless he's saying that everyone's name is in the Lamb's book of life. If it doesn't match uh, the whole counsel of truth, then it's error, regardless of who's teaching it. Years ago, when I was coming up, one of the most visible preachers... And influential preachers in the Western world was Carlton Pearson. He did azuzu revivals and camp meetings and he was an African American man who God used greatly and mightily. And he started out in word faith, and if you watch it long enough, so many of them, so many and I'm not the judge of their hearts, I'm telling you, I'm responsible to you as a pastor to tell you what is error. And it starts off in error. God used him in many ways, but error continues. Then it goes into more error. And now, if you punch his name in on Google, he will tell you, you'll see these videos, live videos, of the most mystical uh, Eastern mysticism, new age, higher self, deeper consciousness, inner eye, he's gone. He's gone. And a good friend of mine in Adel, Georgia Uh, Turned his papers in and is part of this uh, theology. And be careful when you use human reasoning because ministers, watch, are now anointed by seducing spirits that convince people of an attribute about God, ignoring the other things. Isn't God love? Isn't God grace? Love wins. No, love doesn't win, truth wins. Truth wins. The doctrine of there's no hell. In 2011, Rob Bell, who was pastor of Mars Hill Church, wrote this book, Love Wins, and there's no hell. And everybody jumped on the bandwagon because I can't. What kind of God would send someone to hell? And your God sounds like my devil. And then all these people jumped on the bandwagon. There is no hell. Well, I'd like to answer the question, what kind of God uh, would send someone to hell? The same one that would die for them so they didn't have to go. And the scripture teaches plainly that there's a hell. Jesus said, and there was, not a parable, he said there was a rich man and there was a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus was a beggar and the dogs would lick his sores. And the rich man would pass by him every day and uh, he would ask alms for the poor. And when they died, the rich man being in hell in torment... Lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus. This is before Jesus emptied out the upper part of hell, which I've already taught you before. And took everyone into the presence of God upon his resurrection. And he said, uh, uh, tell Lazarus, allow Lazarus, I know him, to dip his finger in a little bit of water. And put it on my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. Well, hell is not really flame. Hell is uh, you being aware that you've disappointed the Lord and torment. How would someone dipping their finger in a cup of water ease my conscience? But we say, well, that's not part of that. That's not found in the early manuscripts. May, May I interject something? If God has the capacity to create everything and maintain everything, I think he has the capacity to bring together the books that are supposed to be in the Bible and keep them there. Just an idea, if he's God. And he keeps the verses. He made sure the ones that were supposed to be there are in there. And if the manuscripts contradict themselves, then there was omissions and deletions and human uh, weakness. But he made sure that it was kept because he endorsed it. He said a more sure word of prophecy. Whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast alive into the lake of fire, Revelation 20. Revelation 14, and those that take the mark of the beast so that they can buy and sell in the great tribulation, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. One other word on word faith that makes me reject all of it, I'm just not eating at that table, is that they teach that Jesus Christ was born again like you and I were. He was not just the God-man who was resurrected from the dead. The Bibles, they teach that he was born again as a man. He had to be recreated and that he went to the torment part of hell and suffered in hell with demons all over him and suffered the fire of hell as an unbeliever. And it's just not so. That part alone, changing who he was, uh, he's not me. He humbled himself like me, but he's not me. It's, it's heresy. It's false doctrine. Number six, the hyper-grace movement. The term hyper-grace has been used to describe a new way of teaching that emphasizes the grace of God to the exclusion of all other teachings, such as repentance and confession of sin. These teachers maintain that all sin, past, present, and future, has already been forgiven, so there's no need for a believer to ever confess. The conclusion of hyper grace is that we are not bound by Jesus' teaching even as we are not under the law. And believers are not responsible for their sin. Now, I'm very hesitant to name names because then I get all the mail and the calls and the Facebook private message from everyone who has their favorite celebrity. So, I'm grouping myself with them. I've done this for years. I'm doing it again. I don't care who they are. If they contradict the word of God, they teach error. It is that simple. And it doesn't mean I'm judging his heart. It doesn't mean I hate the person. But as a pastor, do you understand that I am going to stand naked before God for the instruction I give you on this platform? I'm not trying to win friends. I shake at the idea of standing before the Lord and hearing him say, You talk what? What would you say? I Fear this part of my job. And I don't enjoy someone like me who has so little influence calling out someone that's got 10,000 or 20,000 people because I don't think I'm nothing. But truth is truth. Truth is truth. Very popular pastor, I believe from Singapore, named Joseph Prince. Here's what he said in his book. And I'm quoting, by the way, his book, not my ideas. A believer need not confess his sins because they're already forgiven. To get around 1 John 1 that says when a believer sins, he confesses sins, you know, and uh, the Lord forgives him. To get around John, 1 John 1, he claims this chapter is written to Gnostics only, but the rest of 1 John is written to Christians. Page 106, Destined to reign. He insists that God never punishes a believer for his sins in the new covenant. Never punishes anyone for their sins Completely ignoring the story of Ananias and Sapphira where they fell dead in the presence of God for lying to the Holy Ghost. And forgetting Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, he said, Now there's some in the church that they take communion and they're living in open sin. They're living in adultery, fornication. Their lives are lustful and sensual and they did not discern the body and bread uh, symbolic of the Lord. And because of that brazenness, many of them are sick and a lot of them have died. That's what the scripture says. He just killed them. No, the Lord doesn't judge us for our sins. So, Pastor John, what are you saying? You're saying don't watch anybody? I'm saying when it contradicts the word, turn it off. Just turn it off. Turn me off. Turn anyone off. You have to work out your salvation. And God told you in the last days, there's going to be strong anointing on people that are anointed of hell, preaching seductive doctrines of demons, and they're anointed to convince you through maybe they preach in the way you like maybe they emphasize works for the poor it's a, if it was seductive if it wasn't if it's seductive you don't know it it's like deception if you knew you were being deceived you wouldn't be deceived thus deceived y'all are just staring at me it's like bad breath you're the last one to know One other thing out of his book, page 65, by the way. In Hebrews 12, where it says, The Lord scourgeth every son that he receiveth. He says that is not what God does to his children. It means how we are to discipline our earthly children. Be careful. You can have ten sermons of truth and one of error. You make connection in your heart with the truth. Then you're susceptible to the error. Be very careful. Can a string bring forth bitter fruit and other fruit? Number seven. The ecumenical movement. The principle of promoting unity among the world's Christian churches is a deception. It sounds right on the surface. All these denominations. We ought to all be together. Well, we are together. We're one in Christ. And many local churches... uh, Denomination, denominationalism is not evil. It's when you think you're better than another. If we congregate together, I'm part of the, we're part of the Assemblies of God, a voluntary cooperative fellowship. We can do more together than we can apart. But to say, bring it all together, the problem lies in that the definition for Christians is not the same. It's a broad definition. Things like Freemasonry, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Unitarianism, Mormonism, New Age, Jehovah Witnesses. If they would all say we're, you know, many of them would say we're Christians. And then you have interfaith, which means whatever faith. And that's what you see now with our evangelical pastors. They're standing on a stage with a Buddha, Buddhist, a Muslim, uh, an Islamist, uh, someone from the Middle East, uh, monks. And they say we all are part of the same faith. In the last days, that's, that, that's the one world religion. It's not... Somebody all converting to one thing. It's all roads lead to one. And your pastor's belief. Is that the Catholic church will be the head of it. If I'm wrong. The Lord will judge me. But I believe that Catholicism. Has been. And is. uh, the uh, Mystery Babylon. The church. The woman riding the beast. Drunk on the blood of the saints. How can you say that brother Wood. Let me just give you a couple. Now. Are you saying that there are no Catholic Christians? I'm saying that Catholicism is not Christianity. It's the opposite of Christianity. From its beginning, in the middle, and in the end. It changes the Word of God. It changes the person of God. It gives the glory to God to men. It's a distortion, and it is damning millions of people who will come before the presence of the Lord and not be saved. Let me... Let me give you a couple, just a couple. The Catholic Church is the one true church. Wrong. Now, these are their statements of fact, not room for uh, my interpretation. The Catholic Church is not the one true church. All who are born again of the Spirit of God are the one true church. The infallibility of the Catholic Church. No, you got issues. We got issues. Assemblies of God got Everybody's got issues. You're not infallible. There's one infallible. That's God and his word, inerrant. Can't be changed. The task of interpreting the word of God has been entrusted solely to the pope and bishops who are in communion with him. For thousands of years, millennia, they put the language of the Bible in the dead Latin language so no one could read it. Can you imagine the arrogancy of taking the bread of God... And saying to eat, you must eat through me. Now, I can teach and preach. God can use the gift of teaching and ministry to help you along. But who am I to tell you you can't partake of the bread of life, Christ himself, unless you take it through me. You can't be in the body unless you join my body. That's the elevation of man to a place that he is not allowed to be. That Bible in your hand is your word from the Lord. It's available to all men. The Roman Catholic Church is necessary for salvation. Not so. They believe that if you do not obtain salvation through their church, through the rights of a priest accepting grace, that you're not saved. How much blasphemy do you want? There's no salvation without me. Listen, oh, I, I came down the aisle and I shook Pastor John's hand. You might as well shook a donkey's tail. doesn't do you any good. No good. I can't forgive you of your sins. I can't absolve you of your sins. You can't talk through a a, a piece of lattice and then find grace through me. There is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess your sins to Him and Him alone. Their sacred tradition is equal to Scripture. Wrong. Forgiveness of sin, salvation is by faith and works. Wrong. Mary, the advocate, helper, benefactor, mediatrix, co-mediator. And it is her prayers which assist in delivering our souls from death. Penance is necessary for salvation. The existence of purgatory. Indulgences when family members can give money and obtain remission of temporal punishment for friends. The prayer to dead saints. Come on well john it's we don't want to judge no we have to or our children fall into this error it's because you're robed and it's it's mystical and there's you know the incense and the candles and and all of the above i don't care whether it's on china plates or uh, or paper plates baloney is baloney and error is error you got to pray. You, you've got to find grace uh, through me. And then we got to ask dead saints to pray for us. You mean i got to ask people like me? No, these are saints. Ephesians 1 says you're a saint. Those who have been born again, the church doesn't decree a title on you. God gave you that title, which means that you have a firm, reliant, exclusive trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saints and called to be saints. Work it out. Work the salvation out. Tom, if you would come. And then, of course, uh, the idea of transubstantiation, which means communion, actually becoming the body and blood of the Lord. And the priest has the power to change it. When we take communion, it is actually the body and blood of the Lord. Instead of the symbolic nature that, that we are appropriating, we're remembering his death until we come. The ecumenical movement... Sounds good, looks good. Because Christ did pray that we might be one. But he wasn't praying that all the churches would be one. That all the false systems be one. He wasn't praying that all the interfaith movements on the earth would be one. But everyone that was born again by the Spirit of God would be one. One in faith. One in love. One in caring. One in ministry. That we would be one. And finally... The changing of what is salvation and how one is saved. In my generation, it was phrases like this. Accept Jesus Christ and ask Him to come into your heart. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't save a man. A mental assent and agreement that He is God, that doesn't save a person. Invitation, inviting Jesus without repentance. Invita- come into my heart lord without being born again the salvation is not by the will of man it's not me inviting you it's you inviting me now there are people that have prayed that prayer and it was with repentance and there was new birth i'm not saying the prayer is wrong but it's, it's, there's people that have raised their hand in the church, leave the church, the pastor told them they were saved, and they live like hell for 50 years. There's no life, there's no works, but they told them they were saved. You must be born again. You must be born again. And the fruits, the evidences, the natural outgrowth of that in our life is I might still sin like you, but it grieves me when I do, and I want to find grace and forgiveness The the evidence of new life is there. Salvation without lordship. Then I close with this. It's what the Bible says in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 6. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the confidence of our faith steadfast unto the end. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the confidence of our faith steadfast unto the end. Hebrews 6 said it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and having tasted the good word of God and powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and open him up to new shame or a reoccurring shame. If you'll just give me five minutes here, I I need to talk with you about this because it's so misunderstood. I think I preach it straight and then someone will hear it a a totally different way. The idea of unconditional eternal security. We are not saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost, saved. You know, I'm saved if I'm doing right, I'm lost when I'm doing bad. No. I am eternally secure. Hi. Am eternally secure. Don't worry about it. Don't fret up not trying to add anything to it. There's nothing I could do to save myself. I was dead in trespasses and sin. He brought me back to life. But I can walk away. I can walk away. How can you have a shipwrecked faith without shipwreck? Jude speaks of those that have fallen away, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. So we're dead in sins, alive unto God, twice dead. What's required of us? I abide in Him. I just remain in Him. God creates the salvation in us, the deposit, the earnest of the Holy Spirit. But we're responsible to continue in that well, are you saying I'm not saved? No, I, I can't say that. But you don't risk your soul and live like hell because you say, "Well, I'm saved." No, it, it, salvation evidences itself in a humility that says, "So God, this gift that I couldn't earn, what do I do? Walk with me, abide in me, abide in me." You got the issue of Judas. They say Judas wasn't saved. I'm like, well, no one was saved yet. Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't paid for our sins yet. But I mean, Jesus was. Uh, Judas wasn't a believer. So Jesus called him, an unbeliever, to be a disciple. Error one. The Bible says he anointed them and gave them power over unclean spirits and to heal diseases. Does Jesus give that power to unbelievers? No. Number two. He said, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. Does he call unbelievers sheep? No. No. I'm not saying I have all the answers. But Jesus said, he said, I've kept all of them except the son of perdition. There is gross error when we presume on a doctrine that gives us a false security. The gross error of living in fear. Am I saved? Am I saved? Yes. I'm eternally saved. The work is finished. All I got to do is continue in that which is already done for me. No works. Just continue. Abide there. A firm, reliant, exclusive trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's me. I'm I'm there. Eternally saved. No fear. No fret. But if I turn away, the Bible says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for my sins. That's the part that has been taught in my generation that's led to a generation that does every abominable thing the world does and says, I'm saved. In the last day, seducing spirits leading you away from the Lord and the free grace that's been given to you so brother John do you believe in eternal security yes but I must the only thing I bring is what he gave me and that's faith how can I fall away from something I never had how can I fall away from something I never had so how are you today are you living in truth? Are you living in compromise? Are you living uh, with the wrong context of man being preempted? Is God existing for you? I know this is a lot. But we got to make sure that we haven't been seduced and tricked. We have to make sure. And I pray today. I pray that this didn't confuse or frustrate, just put everything under a microscope. How can that be wrong? How can that be... Put everything under a microscope. Open your Bible in your lap and make it all past the filter. How can that be wrong? And it's not important that you think like me. It's not important that you're like me, but that you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart and the Bible affirming your stance. And if you're such, you ain't got one thing to worry about. But if it's error turn it off, get rid of the book stop, stop, turn away because in the last day men will give way to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and the result of that doctrine is their conscience will be carterized, and they won't know error from truth or darkness from light but we are not children of the darkness we're children of the day would you bow your heads with me this morning Father, I know that I have offended some today. And I pray, O Lord, that if that's the case, that they would give me the grace that they would hope they would receive if they were articulating what they felt was truth and their responsibility of such. Here's what I pray over every member here, including myself. Open our eyes to know you. Open our eyes to know your truth. Create within our heart a distaste for anything that's not true. Keep us near you and in you, Lord. Keep us looking for your return. Keep us watching, waiting, longing to be with you. Teach us to work out our salvation that's already been given in fear and trembling. And may we approach the end of our life with such a confidence that we can pull our feet up in our bed and die closing our eyes in this world and opening ours in the one to come. Let that assurance be for every person in this church, I pray, Lord. And if they have it not before the sun goes down, let them bow their knees unto you. Even if they're not clear on everything, this they know. Father, I'm a sinner. I agree with your judgment upon me. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and appropriate the work of Christ for me. May you save me, Lord, by that repentance and birth me again into the kingdom of God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget tonight, 5 o'clock, we start our Bible study on the book of Ephesians and then prayer following. God bless you today.